Those particular individuals are, are not still in my life, but they, it was more subtle. Like, you know, I would have like my you know annual review and he would make a comment saying like, you know, you wear your emotions on your sleeve, like you need to work on that. <laughs> and then he, he took it upon himself to kind of prod me in any way possible to see if I, he can get a reaction out of me. And so, and ultimately through that, I was able just to kind of shut it down so that he couldn't get a reaction. And so it was like, okay, my job here is done, <laughs> you know, and, and it was, it was a lot of things like that. Like, you know, he encouraged me just to trust myself and to know that like, I knew what I was doing, even if sometimes I didn't see it. And so he just had, you know, a lot of confidence in me and he would point those things out and say, you know, I don't want you to take, you know, a week to make a decision on something like act with the information we have right now and just do it. And as long as you're acting with the information you have and making a good decision based on that, even if it turns out to be wrong, he's like, it's okay. Welcome to the Skill Stadium, a podcast for the skilled trades, where you can learn about the opportunities and benefits of working in the skilled trades from business owners, hiring managers, and the hardworking, talented professionals. And now your host, Keith Williams. Thank you for tuning in to the Skill Stadium podcast, episode 124. I am your host, Keith Williams. Every two weeks, we feature guests in the skill trades, hiring managers, business owners, educators, and influencers giving real-world advice, telling it like it is with no filter. Can you please do me a favor? If you enjoyed the podcast or you found a value, please leave a five-star rating, maybe write a review, share something you enjoyed or learned on the podcast. Thank you. That means a lot to me. Share it with a friend. So let's introduce today's guest. Today's guest is a licensed electrician and project manager from Park Ridge, Illinois, which is a suburb northwest of Chicago. My guest describes themselves as a natural problem solver, and this is what allows my guest to be really effective and strong at their job. My guest is most proud of their first project, a 60-story high-rise contract worth about 12 million. My guest lives by the mantra that you should focus on what you can control and take everything one step at a time. My guest has an advanced open water scuba diver certification, something very interesting about my guest. During my guest's free time, she enjoys spending time with her husband and four-year-old son, who is very inquisitive, and working on their house since they have great skills. Please welcome Irene Walsh Garcia to the Skill Stadium Podcast. Irene, how are you this morning? I'm doing excellent. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. Irene, I'm so happy to have you here. Irene, I want to ask you something. I noticed that you are going on a trip next year to Ireland for your parents' 50th wedding anniversary, I believe. Your son, he's four, he's young. How are you preparing him for that? Is he excited about it? Is he aware of it? He is excited, but probably for the wrong reasons. I showed him some pictures that included playgrounds and so he thinks he's going to go there and, you know, swing and go down the slide. So that's, you know, what's important in his life right now. We went to Mexico to visit my husband's family this past summer, and he was excited about that. He likes the idea of the passport, and um, he went, walked up and got his own stamped. And uh, But his, his highlights are, where's the playground? <laughs> Excellent. I, I got to ask you, something. how does he do on the flights? Because, you know, four, that could be challenging. Um, the flight to Mexico wasn't too bad. Uh, he got a little bit of a, a stomach issue on the way home. So that was a little bit more challenging, but without that, he would have been fine. 
Okay. Well, I take my hat off to any parents who can travel with young children. My, my children, I have children 14 and 12, and I can remember those days. I know that they can be challenging at times. So I was just a little curious about that. So let's get into uh, this interview. You know, when you were growing up, what did you want to become? What was it that you wanted to do? I was lucky in that my parents, you know, encouraged us to pursue whatever avenue we wanted to. They were always very encouraging. I, at one point in time, I wanted to be a teacher, a lawyer, an artist. I mean, you name it. At some point in time, it, it looked interesting to me. I ultimately went to school. I started off at the university in animal science. I was going to be a veterinarian. Oh, and nice. um, <laughs> after one semester, I, I'd had enough. And, um, you know, came home and I'm like, okay, I, I don't know what I want to do, but I'll, I'll take some classes and figure it out. Ultimately, I graduated with a degree in criminal justice, of all things. And I worked for a law firm because that was my, my plan at the time. And uh, it, nine months later, I'm like, nope, this isn't for me either. And um, I don't know how any 18-year-old is supposed to know what they want to do for the rest of their lives. But trial and error, um, my sister had started her apprenticeship in Local 134, and she liked it. She was making good money. And this is my younger sister by two years. I'm like, heck, if my little sister can do it, you know, so can I. And I did. I applied. I got in. Um, I started my apprenticeship. I liked it at first, but then after a year or two, I was, I didn't see it as the, the long-term career that I, I wanted it to be initially. So I started taking math classes while doing my apprenticeship during the day. And I earned my degree in mathematics with the intention of being a high school teacher. So yeah, I've, I'm kind of all over the place on my experiences. Okay. But fortunately, I started working on a project um, with a general foreman who challenged me, he encouraged me, he was very supportive and, and, and recognized my talents. And he suggested that I try estimating or project management. And I didn't think, you know, I was in, in the, um, the trades for five or six years. The project managers I saw were all 20 years older than I was. So I didn't know if that was truly an option for me. He assured me it was. And so I'm like, okay, well, if I'm going to make this leap, this is a pretty big change. I'm going to go ahead and I got my supervising electrician's license. Most electricians in Chicago are not licensed. So I did that. Actually, my sister did too. And um, got a construction management certification. And I made the jump into the office. Excellent. Excellent. What were some of the challenges you felt that made you, or shall I say experiences that made you reluctant at first to, to go into the trades? Because something shifted because you were looking to become a teacher. And I'm just curious, what was it that was giving, that was making you hesitant? Because you mentioned, hey, I changed, you know, I wasn't really excited about it at first, but then something made you change your mind. So I'm kind of curious if you want to touch on that a little bit more. Um, so the reason I even considered going into the trades was because of my sister. My dad, grandfather, great-grandfather, uncles, cousins, you name it, are all electricians. Uh, and so okay. it, it was something I was exposed to growing up, but it wasn't something I considered. I, I was more, I, I was a you know, straight A student, honor student. So I'm like going down this intellectual path in my mind. And, but, you know, I did, and then it, it didn't lead to where I wanted it to, which, you know, to a career. And then to see my sister doing it, and I'm like, it's kind of nice to be, you know, out and building things. And so I just, I was kind of at a point where I just didn't know what else to do. Mm -hmm. And so I'm like, I, I'm kind of one of those people, if it's meant to be, it'll be. So I filled out the application, went through the testing and interview process, and I got my letter saying that I was in. So I'm like, okay, I, I guess this is my next step. I, you know, not having anything else in mind, really. 
Yeah. I also think it's nice that you're allowed to change your mind. Look, how many people nowadays start on a job, like you said, at 18, and that's what they're going to do for the rest of their lives. So many people change their mind. And I, I'm glad that you had the courage to say, hey, you know, like with the veterinarian thing, hey, that's not for me. You got to go experience things, figure out what you don't like to get to what you want. So there's a value in that. I also feel like, you know, and, and I'm curious, you had a mentor. Did you have a mentor or someone who had a big influence on you when you were just getting started? Because I looked at your LinkedIn profile and you have mentioned mentor and coach on it, which strikes me as something that you put a value on. Um, it's definitely something I put a value on. I, um, I've been doing this for over 20 years and any opportunity I have to be a mentor to a young woman in the industry, I, I reach out and make that connection. For me personally, I didn't have an official mentor I did have people who believed in me and mm -hmm. that's what made the difference for me. So it wasn't a formal mentor mentee relationship. It was, you know, that general foreman recognizing that I, I had potential to work as an estimator project manager, like just him, you know, challenging me and, and making me like construction again, what you know, was huge. And when I made the transition into the office, you know, I had a boss that like, you know, he would tell people he's like, she's going to have my job someday. And so just having that, you know, recognition and encouragement was really what made the difference for me in my career. Definitely, definitely. And so this person that had such a positive influence on you, did they give you any pointers in terms of, hey, this is a good career path, like this is kind of your next move? Did they, or were they more tactical and just telling you what to do for now? But is, is it an ongoing relationship where they're kind of still in your life and kind of giving you feedback? Those particular individuals are, are not um, still in my life, but they, it was more subtle. Like, like, you know, I would have like my, you know, annual review and mm -hmm. he would make a comment saying like, you know, you wear your emotions on your sleeve, like you need to work on that. <laughs> yes. And, um, and then he, he took it upon himself to kind of prod me in any way possible to, to see if I, he can get a reaction out of me. And so, and ultimately through that, I was able just to kind of shut it down so that he couldn't get a reaction. And so it was like, okay, my job here is done, <laughs> you know, and, and it was, it was a lot of things like that. Like, you know, he encouraged me just to trust myself and to know that like, I knew what I was doing, even if sometimes I didn't see it. And um, so he just had, you know, a lot of confidence in me and he would point those things out and say, you know, I don't want you to take, you know, a week to make a decision on something like, you know, act with the information we have right now and just do it. And as long as you're acting with the information you have and making a good decision based on that, even if it turns out to be wrong, he's like, it's okay. Excellent. Excellent. So, you know, we know that it can be challenging for women in your industry because there's not a lot of women in the industry and construction. What are some challenges they might face and how can they overcome those challenges? It seems like you've had a positive experience though. Overall, I have. And I think one of the biggest pieces of it is that in any situation, I've shown up as myself. I sure. didn't try to be someone else. I didn't try to be one of the guys. I came in and I, you know, I knew a smart person. I know how to learn things. I'm going to pick things up. I'm going to try my hardest. And I, I learned, <laughs> you have to learn this pretty quickly. You can't take things personally. Whatever happens, whatever you might overhear, even if it feels personal, you can't take it personally. What, you know, what, what someone says is more a reflection of them than, I, than of you. And just for, you know, remembering that yeah, there were definitely a lot of challenges. I mean, heck, just having, you know, clean facilities for the bathroom is the, is a, a challenge, I think continues to be a challenge. And I don't think any woman in the field expects there to be like, you know, marble tile or anything in the bathroom, but just to have, you know, something clean and lockable. Portage ons are fine, but just, you know, kind of the basics. So that's still, I think, an area that, that. I know is, is still a challenge just to get the basics on a job site. Definitely, definitely. And, you know, one of the things, you know, looking at your background, 
you've acquired skills and you've been able to change careers. Can you share why it's important in your industry and how it's affected you to keep your skill sets up? Because we all know everything changes, nothing stays the same. So I'm kind of curious if you could talk on the importance of keeping your skill sets up. And obviously you're somebody that does that. How has that affected your career? And how can that help people who are going into your industry? I think always looking for the opportunity to better yourself. You know, if, if there's an additional class or additional training, definitely be open to those opportunities. But I think, you know, there's certainly there's, there's hard skills and there's soft skills. And I think most people pick up on the hard skills fairly quickly, right? They're, they're a little bit more black and white, a little simpler. I think the ones that are the hardest, where I think women really excel in are the soft skills the people skills. And so like understanding that and fine tuning that, because if you know how to communicate and manage people and lead people, that'll make all the difference, regardless of if you know how, you know, three-way switch is wired or what the Lutron lighting control system is, you know, how it's going to operate in this facility. So it's really knowing just how to talk to people and, and to, to utilize your resources available. Yeah. I also would imagine that understanding the company culture would be, you know, understanding company culture and how to navigate through that culture, I would imagine is also important because what's going to make you successful in one place might not make you successful in another place. What's your, t what's your view on that? Agreed. <laughs> I definitely agree. I've worked for companies where, and in, in my current company included, where, you know, I, I show up every day and I work hard and that hard work is appreciated. I, you know, had a past company where I did the same things and no matter what I did, it wasn't right. And so, it, you know, it just wasn't a big fit. I, I don't believe in micromanagement. I don't believe in being micromanaged. And that's kind of how, you know, that's how they did things. And I said, look, I'm, I'm running projects with grown men and I, I'm not going to tell them, I'm not going to tell them how to do their jobs. <laughs> I'm going to, yes. I'm going to, you know, give them whatever help and support I can as a project manager, but I'm also going to give them the leeway to do it on the way they, they want to do it. They're intelligent. They're here. They're doing a good job by all accounts, I'm going to continue to support and empower that. So yeah, for sure. I mean, each, each company is different. And, you know, I've worked with people who wanted, you know, to come into a company or a job site and make these huge changes like on day one. And I always like, have to stop them and say, no, like first you need, you need to be in and, and prove yourself and accepted. And then you, then you understand the framework and within that framework, you could start making changes, but you can't do it without understanding that framework first. Oh, I agree. I agree. It, it, you know, it's like surveying your environment. I call it reading the room, you know, <laughs> and I, I think whether you're in a business environment or even a social environment, we've all seen that one person who just doesn't get it. They come in like a, <laughs> like a bull at a China shop and everybody's looking at them like, you know what the word is? Self-awareness. Yes. <laughs> You know, like it's that person who might have had a little bit too much to drink and they're at a conservative party and they're just running their mouth and they don't understand that that's just not going to work in the environment they're in. They're just not reading the room. So no, I'm usually cringing for them like, oh, please stop. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we've all we've all seen that person. <laughs> so what advice and I know that, you know, you've mentored younger women who are coming into the industry. What advice would you give to women who want to work in the construction industry and become an electrician? What advice would you have for them? I think the the most important thing, you know, I touched on earlier is, is being yourself. I've come, like I, I've, I witnessed situations where, you know, women would come on and they would try to be like one of the guys and swearing like the guys or spitting like the guys. And, and they just were generally not 
like well received. It is just wasn't appreciated, and it's like you know, and it's not, and, but that's the easy thing, right? If you don't if you don't feel comfortable and you don't know how to fit in, then it makes sense. Just I'll just emulate what I see, uh, but it just generally it just doesn't work. You can't do that in the long term. Uh, so I think you you know being yourself and then recognizing and appreciating your own strengths. Um, as a woman in the industry, like. I have different strengths than the men around me, and um, but that but they're no less valuable than the strengths the guys have. And there were very few situations when I was in the field that I had to be like, you know, hey, foreman, I can't do this because of, of something being attributed to my being a woman. That was, you know, very like maybe once or twice, literally. I was in there, you know, with the guys pulling cable, you know, running four inch, you know, heavy wall conduit, you know, you know, overhead. And I always made... I just always did whatever I was supposed to do. And I just took every opportunity I, I had to learn. Um, and this will prove the, that point. My very first day as an electrical apprentice out in the field, the journeyman I was paired to work with told me first words to me. He's like, you don't belong here. Oh, no. And, <laughs> and I'm like, okay, like, you know, what do I do with that? So I'm like, you know, okay, whatever. I'm here to learn. Teach me what you can. And so again, we were, we were running racks of, of conduit. And I did, and thankfully my dad's, you know, an electrician. So he told me, he's like, anticipate what the journeyman needs. So I had this in the back of my mind the whole time. <laughs> so yes. if, I, if I see he's going to need something, like I made sure that I had it for him, like whatever I could do, like I, I was there, I wasn't waiting to be told the next thing. Like I'm thinking what could be the next thing and, and I'm going to do that. And so I worked with him for a couple of months doing these overhead conduits and I was ultimately put on. The general foreman realized that I needed to, you know, rotate. We you know, want to rotate, learn something else. So he had me roughing walls. I'm like, okay, you know, that's fine. He was, um, that you know, first journeyman was given a second year male apprentice. Mm -hmm. And within two days, he asked for me back. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, you so made him a believer. Yes. Yes. And from then on, I had a chance to work with him a few different times and he would ask for me. And because, you know, again, I, I anticipated, I worked hard. I was there early. Like I, I just like, it's like, I couldn't do enough. And, and like I said, I thankfully, you know, had my dad to kind of give me some, some tips or anytime, anytime I had a question or issue, I can go home and say, Hey dad, like this happened. And, you know, he would let me know what he thought I should do. And that, you know, certainly helped. Yeah. I think at the end of the day, regardless of your race, your gender, if you can do the job, you can do the job. People eventually start to realize that. And at the end of the day, that's really all that matters. And as is evident from the um, fact that he asked for you back, you know, because first of all, a lot of people don't necessarily take initiative to anticipate what someone wants, needs. Most people are not doing that. Most people are just sitting there just waiting, you know, the average person, not saying everybody, but obviously there are exceptions. But so when you're able to do great work and stand out and bring a value, People recognize that right away as soon as they bring somebody else in. And I think that attributes to why you've been successful. You know, and I think that having that mentorship and having people to kind of guide you like your dad did and the other gentleman who's helped you in your career, that is extremely valuable. Tell me, how do you think people can connect with some? So how would someone connect with you? Are you someone that they could just reach out to you on LinkedIn? Are there Facebook groups? How does one, if there's a young woman thinking of, trying to get a mentor. How do they do it? Um, so yeah, for, for me, for me personally, I mean, I, I have had people reach out on LinkedIn, young women, like I've, you know, I've posted about my experiences in the trades and as a project manager, and I've had women reach out directly and say, you know, it really helps to read your stories and, you know, and, and just having that connection. 
I'm also a member of the Professional Women in Construction in Chicago. I've heard And that. so they have a lot of great committees and one of them being the mentoring committee that I am on and actively a part of. And so it's, so there is, there's, there are groups out there to be able to connect directly with, to find mentors. Certainly I think there's an increasing number of opportunities, but that is definitely one way. Would you recommend for women who are not in the industry to check out the North American, uh, sorry, the Chicago, the women in construction, I, I believe it is that you mentioned? Yeah, professional women in construction. So anyone, so you can be in any facet of the construction industry and become a member. Any construction or can guess construction adjacent, if you will. So there's, I mean, there's accountants and lawyers and, you know, project managers and engineers and architects, and it, it kind of runs the entire gamut. And it, like I said, it's a, um, the Chicago chapter has only, it's been around less than 18 months. So we're still new. We're still kind of figuring things out. But I, I love, I absolutely love the experiences and the people that I've met so far. And I definitely encourage others to become involved. And the more, you know, networking you can do, you can't go wrong with that. Definitely. Also, something I found interesting that I heard recently is that the average pay for women in construction is 97K. And it's one of the few industries where women make more. The, the gap between women and men is, is smaller. Talk about that. How is it people are not aware of that? And why do we still have low numbers of women in construction? How do we change that? Because it seems like a really great career choice for women if the pay is almost equal and higher than in other industries for women. So there's different thoughts on that. And I've read different things. Some are saying that the gap is bigger than that. Some are saying, you know, what you're saying. And so it's, you know, I don't know for sure, but I know at, at the very least on the trade side of it, it's equal. So, you know, as an electrician, you know, journeyman electrician, they all get paid the same. There's a set, sure. this is the scale, and this is what you will get paid. So right there, that's the overall equalizer. You can't get more equal than that. And so perhaps it, that carries over into the kind of the rest of the industry. But I think part of it too, is that, you know, if you're a woman in the construction industry and, and you're making career of it, you've been around a long time, like you have to know how to negotiate. There, that is just part of what comes, you know, with the job and especially again on the management side. So, you know, if you know how to negotiate because you're negotiating contracts or, or change orders or, or different things, you know, throughout the project and through that, figure out how to negotiate for yourself. So, I mean, I, I've sat in, in reviews and, you know, I'm saying, okay, like this is, you know, my expectation and um, this happened a few times at a previous company. And they were like, well, you know, I don't, you know, Irene, I don't know. I said, look, I said, if you expect me to be sitting here negotiating contracts and change orders with our customers, you sure as heck better, you know, figure out, I, I know how to negotiate for myself. And, uh, and they're, they just kind of like kind of smile and sit back. They're like, okay, you, you have a point. <laughs> the, the, yeah. the two are not like, unrelated. <laughs> Yes. Throughout most of my career, I'd worked in sales. And I remember when people would be shocked when you'd start negotiating for more money. I'm like, well, that's what I do on a regular basis. What, what do you expect? You know, so I hear you. I understand that. And so, yeah, you're right. Having those skill sets, no matter what profession you're in, is going to benefit you in terms of what you earn. So it makes perfect sense to me. So, you know, we have a skills gap. And I believe that tapping into underrepresented groups like minorities and women can close the skill gaps. How can companies go and connect with these folks who are underserved, whether they be women, minorities, how can they get in touch with them and bring them into the industry so we can drop the skills gap, close the gap? Well, you are speaking something very near and dear to me. I've been having a lot of conversations about this very topic. And so what I'm seeing and in what in different groups I'm involved with or support in one way or another. So they're pre-apprenticeship programs that directly support women in the industry, minority individuals, people from you know different communities within Chicago who just need some additional support. 
And sure. so I've been involved with you know activities with Chicago Women of the Trades, which is a great organization, and they're also Revolution Workshop. And again, they're both okay. pre-apprenticeship programs. And so they allow people to kind of get some additional training before they're even in the apprenticeship program to allow them a better success of getting in. And then once they're in to succeed in those positions. And that's that's huge. And they also provide ongoing support because I think that's even, you know, just as important as the support to get in. This support once you're in, just receiving that is huge. There's also programs like Polish Pebbles and Girls in the Game who provide mentoring for young girls still in school. So they're they're learning about the opportunities in construction that they might not even have known about otherwise. So like Polish Pebbles does a pink hard hat, they have a pink hard hat program. And so they'll introduce the girls to careers in construction. So that the first piece of it is even knowing that's an option, right? I mean, that's the first piece. So both these programs, you know, have things in place that, you know, are, are encouraging, you know, young girls about the careers in construction. And these are generally, I think they're working with the Chicago public school system. And then again, in the pre-apprenticeship programs in my company in March, we're hosting a shadow day with Polish Pebbles, where a group of, I think about 15 young girls will come in and they're going to sit and talk to the women in my company. And, and I'm lucky I work for a company with quite a few women in, in pretty much every department. And we're going to sit there and tell them like, you can do, what does a purchasing agent look like? What does a project manager look like? What is the accountant here? What about HR? I mean, there's or the service department <laughs> to be able to sit down with this many people in one place, you know, and for an electrical contractor and say, Hey, these are possibilities. And, and what questions do you have? What, you know, what does, is it, does this look interesting to you? What age are you starting with? Cause I think that's also important. So the mentoring programs, I believe start in like middle school. And then through high school. No, that's good. That's good. That's perfect. Because one of the things just in talking to people, I don't know if you've heard this, but there are people who are saying we really got to get the kids at a younger age. Also, do you find that in certain communities, like more affluent communities where parents are pushing college, do you see resistance when you present this as an option or do you just target all areas? Like what, what's your take on that? What are some challenges that you might uh, see? You know, that, that's a great question. I actually hadn't thought of that. So the programs that I'm mentioning, like they're, you know, they work with the Chicago public schools and sure. um, I'm not, I'm not aware of any programs in more fluent areas. I, so I really okay. can't speak to that. I can just speak to the ones that I'm aware of. No, that makes sense. That makes sense. What trends are you seeing in construction and where are the opportunities and areas that may decline? And how do you position yourself to capitalize on those changes? So, you know, we recently have seen layoffs in the tech sector. Obviously, certain areas are could be in jeopardy. I know overall construction and the skill traits is a high growth area, but are there any areas where you feel that could be on that border and other areas where you feel like, wow, go in here. This area is just taking off. So oddly enough, I, I feel like the tech portion of construction is truly what's booming. Uh, so okay. like the whole VDC, virtual design and construction. All so right. to be able to actually you know, design a space and allow people to really feel what that space is like before the building is built. So Sorry, can I stop you one second? Can you tell me what people have to do in order to work in that job? Like, what if, so what does that mean in terms of qualifications? So How do they get to um, do a job like that? Yeah, so there's classes and training. My husband is in that industry. And okay. um, so it's not it's not a full degree. It, it is some training. A, a lot of it's on-the-job training. So there's a fairly low barrier to get in. But the opportunities are increasing for sure. And it just, the you know, the demand, because you know, a lot of times you know, we'll build a space and I do a lot in healthcare. So maybe we'll do an operating room and then the, the doctors will come in and be like, well, 
that's not where I want that, <laughs> you know, and, and then there, there has to be a change, you know, change order, it costs money, it costs time. Whereas if we use this VDC technology to the full extent possible, then the doctor's going to be able to, you know, see that space before it's built and say, yeah, that doesn't work for me. And so there's just, I said, it's, it's growing at, at a, a huge rate. I mean, I, I know like when I for, was first coordinating my first project, you know, you're overlaying drawings, you're, you're, it's all hard measurements and, and now it's changed significantly to what's available right now. And it's, it's exciting. So it seems like you have to have creative and technical skills to be successful in, in that area. You, you do. I mean, you, you, you have to be able to kind of visual have a certain level of visualization possible, but it's, it's not like a ton of training to get your foot in the door. Okay. No, that's good to know. That's good to know. What are some titles or job positions that one, if somebody's interested in this, that they might look out for? So if they were to Google it or they'd want to learn more. So just looking for opportunities and, and straight up just the VDC. Another, you know, areas is, is kind of the BIM slash CAD uh, designers where they're, you know, creating the documents that, you know, generate the blueprints. And so, I mean, that's kind of, yeah, just if you're looking at any, anything with the VDC, you know, BIM, CAD, and those are kind of the key things to look for um, when looking at those opportunities. Excellent. Excellent. And I also think that the ability to design something and create something, that's never going to change. There's always going to be a need for that, you know, because that represents change, which is what we're going to constantly see in the job market and in any profession that you're in. So that's why I kind of, you know, pushed to learn a little bit more about that because I feel like that's a great opportunity for folks. Final question, Irene. Imagine it's 2033. And you have the opportunity to talk to the version of yourself who's 10 years older and who's seen everything that's gone on from now, from 2023, right up to 2033. What would you ask yourself? What would you want to know? I would have to ask my 2033 version if she has any regrets that the 2023 version of myself could do something about in order to avoid those regrets. Yeah, keeping it simple. Yeah, that's great. Well, Irene, please share how people can find your organization or get in touch with you, particularly young women who want to learn more about going into construction. So my LinkedIn is the easiest place to find me, just Irene Walsh Garcia. I work for Jamerson and Bowen's Electrical Contractors, great company. But if you're looking for, for mentoring or specific um, women in construction information or, or just want to know more about it, LinkedIn is, is would be the best uh, place to find me. Well, Irene, thank you so much for being on the Skill Stadium podcast. It was a pleasure and I wish you continued success and enjoy your day today. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you for listening to Skill Stadium. It would mean so much if you left a review on iTunes and told your family and friends about the podcast.